Saddle up, because we're heading out west. <laughs> You're listening to Cinema Parlor. I'm Nolan Tuck. Stacy Glover. And on this week's episode, we are going to be discussing Sergio Carbucci's The Great Silence. So first things first, Mr. Stacy, what are you drinking this week, man? Well, earlier this morning, I had some coffee with some Knob Creek. Okay. So I had a few cups of coffee Sweet. with some whiskey in it. And now I am drinking some New Belgium uh, Voodoo Ranger. Uh, I'm This week I'm drinking a Oktoberfest, and this is from Odell Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. And they uh, make a lot of uh, really tasty beverages, and I give them a approval, and I'm going to take a little sip here. Ah, it is good. I've had I This is not my first can I've had of this, but it is really good. I remember my first beer. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, uh, yeah, what what's new, man? Oh, not much. Uh, I guess the big thing that's happened is Red Dead Two has come out, which is partially inspired for you know why we chose this uh, movie. Yeah. Um. So you finished Red Dead One? I did. I got it done. Did you like it? I did. It was a it was a really good game. Uh, I'd never finished the game before, so when it came out, I played it a lot. But I kind of uh, how I am with video games is. I play them for a while, and then sometimes I just kind of... Just to give some context... Putter out. What is the last single-player game that you finished... Oh, man. ...and saw credits at the end? <laughs> this is this is Like, a tough, before Red Dead. This is a tough question for me. Um, does the prequel to the Wolfenstein game count? <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say that counts. <laughs> so I, I need that this year. It's only like so a six-hour game. Wolfenstein, but... <laughs> the old blood. Um, before that... Before that, I mean... It's it's been a while. I know. That's I mean, why I'm... I I beat the original Bioshock. <laughs> that was what 2007. That was a long time ago. Yeah, but um, you play games regularly. I do play games. I just have a. I, I don't finish them very often. We we differ in that. I I tr- I usually finish like probably thirty to forty games a year because I'm a big old nerd. Hey, that's all right. You get things done. But yeah, so so you were pumped on Red Dead. Yeah, so I really like the game um, and. Uh, you know, the the end was, I would say it would be like a shocking ending, but I kind of, since it's been out for a long time, uh-huh. I've kind of had rumors I've heard and ideas of like kind of how it ended. Yeah. But, um, so it wasn't as shocking for me, but it still was, you know, a bummer of an ending. But I won't say what happens. I'm sorry. Well, I, don't know. I mean, here's the deal. The game's been out forever. You know, if somebody really wanted to play it, they have done it by now. Yeah. But, so this new game, um, I was reading that, like, in the first few days, it sold more copies than Red Dead 1 did in eight years. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that, it, so it's like a phenomenon. Um, it's pretty cool. We both started it. Yeah, are you liking the new one? Yeah, I, I like it. Uh, there seems to be a lot of systems. It... It seems like they're doing stuff that, like, GTA San Andreas did with, like, mm-hmm. how, you, like, your looks and, like, what you eat changes, you know, your appearance. Sure. And 
it also has a lot of like surviving game elements that kind of is like a big subgenre on mostly like PC now where mm. it's like you have all these meters like you got your your health meter and then your core and yeah. then you got to handle all your horses stuff too and I don't know about you but like man, I kind of zone out when all these little meters pop up mm-hmm. and it's like I don't know when I'm supposed to eat I don't know like so I just kind of do it as like real life like I'm thinking like oh it's a new day I got to eat at least one meal yeah. maybe two yeah, I lose, I've lost track a little bit, too, like, because I, I get caught up in the game, and I'm just like, hmm, I just noticed the meters, and, like, my, my health doesn't look good. Maybe I should eat, uh, drink a potion or eat something. Or yeah. Same with my stamina. And your horse is the same way. He has a stamina meter. He has a health meter. There's a lot of meters. Yeah. But it, it's cool. Yeah, I, I'm liking the game. Uh, it's very immersive. It it feels kind of like, uh, kind of like The Witcher 3 for me, where... You know, it, it's not role-playing in the sense that, like, you create your own character, but I really feel like, like, well, my Arthur Morgan, like, this is what he's going to do. Like, mm-hmm. this is how he'd react to this situation. So I'm really, like, finding myself trying to play it like, well, I don't want to do this because this would be out of character for me. That is good. I, I've gone about a different way a little bit because I am a bit of a wild card, it seems, because... Heathen. My guy, I'll just go over this real quick. Like you said, I agree with you. Like, you know, there's a lot of of, uh, buttons and a lot of buttons that do, like, the same button will do different commands or, you know. Yeah, a lot of contextual um, button prompts. So, you know, I've I've caused some chaos on accident and some on purpose purpose so far. But but a big accident thing that happened to me yesterday, and it happened on a couple different occasions, but I was just trying to... You know, pet my horse or clean him and mm-hmm. tell him, you know, I like you. He's a good boy. Well, what happened was instead of pushing the left trigger, I pushed the right trigger. Yeah. And I just punched him right in the neck. Yeah. And I he I, probably isn't gonna like you as much. No, he ran. He didn't like that very much at all. Yeah. So I tried to apologize to him. I, I wait. <laughs> I mean, how did you go about apologizing to a horse? I was, uh, you know, just through my voice. He couldn't hear me. I mean, I was talking you, to the TV. You, Nolan. Yes. Not not as... Uh, not Arthur Morgan. Not as Arthur Mer- Morgan. You said sorry to yeah, the television. I did. <laughs> I didn't care, obviously. Right. But, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I robbed, like, a store yesterday, and there's, like, a doctor's office with, like, illegal things going on in the back, and I did it the wrong way. I ended up, like, getting, like, a, almost $100 worth of, like, bounty on me, which is a lot in that game. That I mean, is a lot. How'd you pay that off? I killed a sheriff. I mean, I sold a horse earlier, so I had like 150 bucks on me. Yeah, I mean, it was it was bad. I killed a lot of people, but I got a you new You sound gu- remorseful about it. I was a little bit, but I did get a new gun. And then like I had another adventure that I I, you know, had another guy. I was like he he was like a straight uh, just a random and he's like, "Hey, you want to have a shooting contest?" And I lost to him and I was really like pissed about it and so i owed him like 10 bucks and he's like give me my money i was like no he got mad at me and he like give me the money or i'm gonna shoot you he pulls his gun out and i just murdered him my character's got done some good and like, bad you're a bad person right now i'm, I'm kind of teetering that edge yes yeah what's funny to me is you racked up a hundred dollar bounty but you were unwilling to pay ten dollars to a guy that you lost a bet to yeah i mean i don't know i I thought it was, like, I don't know. He didn't make the rules clear to me. I didn't like it. Like, he was talking about shooting bottles, and, like, he was shooting bottles I didn't see. I mean, it's my personal fault, but I just... Because you didn't see the bottles. Yeah, but like... I didn't I, I didn't like it. I thought it was cheap play. <laughs> I shot him dead. You thought that the character, the NPC in the game, put one over on you in real life. Yeah. 
And you didn't like that. No. So you killed him. He had him. to pay for it. Now he's no longer going to live through any more trying to jit people. All right. Well, um... So yeah, I've just been up to that, man. Uh, playing more Marvel Spider-Man. Catching some movies. We watched... Uh, well, I watched uh, Overlord. Okay. A new movie in the uh, theater. Have seen it yet? I, I think did you like pre- it? Yeah, I think it's really cool. It's, uh, it's a lot more serious than I thought it would be. And I like that. It's, uh, it's a good film. I don't want to say too much because you haven't seen it. But I recommend going to watch it. There's times where I thought that it would like delve into like cheesy things and it never did it always like restrained itself and i appreciated that okay so i i thought it was a solid movie you did a cool thing the weekend before halloween yes you went to the alamo draft houses uh it was dismember the alamo yeah yeah let's talk about that i guess uh so yeah this this was a few couple weeks back this was the weekend before halloween so that saturday and uh this Halloween, they did something called Dismember the Elmo, and uh, it's the first time they've done it here. And uh, it was basically a movie marathon, and it was a four-movie marathon, and they were all mystery movies. And the ticket, I believe, was $40. Yeah, $40. So bucks. you're looking at about $10 a ticket, which is what you usually pay anyway. And I took a risk because, <clears throat> you know, I don't know what they're playing, so I didn't know if it would be, you know, something I've seen a lot, mm-hmm. it would be new stuff. Or, you know, some cool cult stuff. I didn't know. So I just took the risk and I was like, this sounds fun. So, so I okay, did it. Okay, so you get there. What What's the atmosphere like? Do they have it, like, done up special? Yes. So, okay, so the, the marathon started at, uh, I believe it was 11 in the morning. And at most Alamos, they typically like you to get there about 30 minutes early. You can get in your seat. You also have, like, pre-show reels, and you can get food ordered if you want all that and stuff. Did they have a pre-show reel for this? Uh, They showed, like, trailers to, like, older movies. So, Uh yes, they did show trailers. They didn't have anything specific. Right. And that's because... I will get into that in a second. So, nothing, like, major specific, but they did show, like, trailers to, like, older horror movies, which is fun. So, I get there around 10.30, and uh, I had bought my ticket in advance. So, I get to the theater, go down, and it was... Kind of towards, um, you know, they have, I think it's a, four, we have like a 14 theater Alamo. Something yeah, it's like massive. So it was the very, like, far right-hand side of the Alamo. So we're like theaters 9 through 14 or whatever. Okay. Down that way. I get down that way. Right when I walk in the Alamo, um, I see like a lot of smoke in the area. And like in the whole Alamo, and I was like, hmm, I wonder if they had a mishap in the kitchen or something. That's what I, my first thought was. Oh. I keep walking. I walk past the bathrooms. I walk down my hall. And the smoke gets bigger. And as I get towards my hall... Was it a fog machine? It was a fog machine. <laughs> we had fog going on. And then I walked in, and they had the whole hallway done up. It was actually kind of cool. Uh-huh. They had spider webs, like, you know, fake spider webs put everywhere. They had um, a lot of horror movie posters that they had put in, and they had, like, cool little Halloween, Halloween decorations everywhere. And then they had their own personal workers who were standing, like, in the... You know, you have the corridor, and then you have the, the, the each movie theater, and you have, mm-hmm. like, the doorways. And they were kind of, like, hiding, to, and when people would walk by, they'd jump out and try to scare them. Did you get scared? I didn't, because the people in front of me, he did it too before me, or I would have got scared, probably. Yeah. Because that's how I am. But they were, like, dressed in, you know, Halloween gear. They were had uh, masks on. Any and, cool outfits? Or yeah, they... there was there was some cool stuff. There was a dude walking around in a Michael Myers uh 
you know, jumpsuit, mask. You know, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. You walk into the theater and you have your seats pre-assigned, you know, and everything. Mm -hmm. And on everybody's seat when you walk in, there was a little bag of candy for each person. And in the bag of candy was also a cool little patch um, from the Alamo. It was called Dismember the Alamo and it had a cool little little goblin or ghoul on it, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can take that patch, do whatever you want with it. You can put it on a backpack, on a, you know, whatever. Did you put it on anything? Not yet. Okay. Uh, I will do that at some point. But um, anyway, it was a nice little, nice little candy so, so grab bag. So that's like the setup. Um, yeah, that's the setup. Now, didn't you get yourself a second bag? I did. So <laughs> I am a glutton, especially for candy. So <laughs> there was supposed to be a person, um, the, the seat next, next to me was, was purchased. And so that person never showed up. I waited at least till the third movie. Wait a minute. Okay. Hold on now. I did not know this. This was not given to you. You just took it? Yeah. I mean, it, it's on our, it was on our tables. So, yeah. Yeah. That candy bag was on the table I shared, but it was for that seat specifically. But the the person didn't show. The man so, or the woman did not show. So you took their candy bag. I did. Without asking, without being presented. Yep, just I just you just grabbed it, took it, and then I had more candy to eat with my popcorn, and I got another badge. So for your snacks, is that what you did? Because I think that's the play there. Because you get yep. uh, free refills on soda and popcorn. Yep. So you just did a soda and popcorn. That's all I did the whole day, and that's a good it play. Was free refills for the whole day, right? Soda and popcorn, and then I just snacked on my candy in between. Yeah, it was a good go. <laughs> All right, man. Well, that's awesome. So, yeah. so the programming starts. Uh, does anything happen before the first movie? Yeah. So, um, right before the the first film starts, um, they had a little promo that came up, and it like showed, um, you know, it got spooky. It was like dismember the Alamo. The lights go down, and they announce <clears throat> the first movie. So, what's our first movie? So, the first movie was Spider Baby. Okay, Jack Hill. This is a Jack Hill film. And give me one second uh, so I can remember what year that is. It's like 67, 68. So that is 1967. Yes. And so this movie I'd never seen before. Really liked it a lot. Uh, this stars uh, Lon, Chaney, Lon Chaney Jr. Uh, in one of, I'm guessing, one of his later roles. Yeah, it would have been Twilight of his career. Yes. This also has a young Sid Haig who's very good in it. All right. And I really like the movie a lot. Cool. Have you watched a lot of Jack Hill stuff? Uh, I think he's mostly done, like, I know he did, like, a bunch of, like, Roger Corman monster movies right. from that time period, and I think he stayed making movies with Corman, because I think he did mm-hmm. a lot of the exploitation, like, the women in prison flicks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he, did he do Coffee? Yes, uh, he did do that. And, uh, no, I haven't seen a lot of his movies. Um, he did Coffee. I believe he did Foxy Brown. Yeah. The Big Dollhouse. I think he, he may have did the Big... Birdcage? Yeah, I think I've uh, seen a couple of those women in prison I have, films. And... I have seen The Big Birdcage. I do know that. Um, I haven't seen Coffee or Foxy Brown, which sadly... And Sid Higgs in a lot of those yeah, movies, he too. Is. Yeah, you know, so, you know, there's, I've seen a couple of his films, I guess, but not Switch enough. Switchblade Sisters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, he's an interesting filmmaker. I mean... Pit Stop, I think that was another yeah. kind of... Yeah. Um, so, yeah... It was a it was a lot of fun, man. I really enjoyed that first movie. Awesome. And so you know, after that, we didn't have a break or anything. We okay. Just right into the next movie, the lights stopped. You know, they took us, and they said, "For your next movie, we are be going to be showing demons." Okay. Uh, Lumberto Bava. Lumberto Bava, nineteen eighty five. I'd seen this movie before. We've right. watched it together. I've seen it a couple times. I 
really like this movie. It's a fun movie. And this was like probably the high point of my day because this was like so much fun to see on the big screen. And yeah. this was like when when they announced that, I was like I was cheering, man. I was clapping my hands. I was like this is awesome. Yeah, it's a cool movie. So, so did the I mean, seeing it on the big screen enhances anything, sure. but like was it something that like it played really well in that atmosphere? It did. Atmosphere? It was so much fun. People were having a great time. Um, people were, you know, laughing, they were cheering. It was a good time. Um, not to like an annoyance, but like just, you know, the yeah. crowd feeling it, you know, having a good time with it. Um, if you haven't ever seen Demons, you should check it out. Oh, it's um, so good. The it's whole bug nuts. The movie basically takes place in this movie theater. Um, man, yeah, it's a lot of fun. You get a guy like later who's like on a motorcycle and has a big machete just cutting yeah, down demons. Yeah, Samurai Sword. Cutting... Oh, Samurai Sword, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cutting demons. Um, it's just, it's, it is a, it is a crazy, crazy film. Yeah, and it's, it's really boring, fun. And there's so many great colors. I mean, this is Baba's son, and he kind of does a lot what his dad did. Yeah, with color. I, I think Argento produced it. Yep, that's right. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, I love this movie. So I mean, I just had a lot of fun, and uh, couldn't have asked for a better second film. Very cool. So what did you get an intermission? Okay, so at that after time? Demons, yes, we had a small intermission. It was a ten minute break. Uh huh. We got to use the bathroom, do whatnot, have a dump, you know, whatever. A lot of fiber. <laughs> uh, I didn't. Well, I mean, we don't need to know. But I'm surprised I didn't. Yeah. I was eating that popcorn down. And like two bags of candy. <laughs> so, anyway, the next movie uh, they announced was Brain Damage. Oh, yeah. This was another highlight of the day for me. So, this is Frank Hennenlotter's 1988 film. And, uh, again, I've seen it before, as have you. Mm-hmm. We watched it, actually, in a group of friends not that yeah, long ago. this year. It was about, I don't know, a couple months ago, probably. Yeah. Anybody who is not familiar with Frank Henenlotter, you should be, uh, because he makes fun little genre films. Uh, he did... Uh, and all of them are New York-based. They are, right? yeah. They're very, like, very grimy. It has that, you know... Abel Ferrara yes, feel. Yes, feel to it that just films don't do anymore. And it's because it's a different New York now. But, like, at the time, it was just grimy and nasty and, like feels like you're in that setting and which it should because that's you know Hinn Lauder is somebody that I find a very interesting filmmaker he did Basket Case um which I think is a fun movie he did Frankenhooker and then he's done you know some Basket Case uh yeah, he sequels, did two sequels right a lot of laughter in the theater that was a movie I could tell that I don't think a lot of people had seen yeah that I watched it with and the first time Elmer comes on screen people just lost it like really there was so much laughter and just the whole, I mean, it's a funny movie, but it's also quite gory and there's some shocking how, moments how as well. How do people react to the blowjob? I heard a lot of gasps. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but nobody was offended because of the crowd you're in. I mean, I, yeah. You know, so, I mean, everybody had a good time. Uh-huh. But it, it was definitely the, out of the movies I watched, that was the one that had the most reaction. Yeah. Because that was the one I, I'm guessing most people hadn't seen out of. For sure, out of the ones we watched. So yeah, that and it was a it, man. It looked all these. By the way, all these restorations just looked great. So I mean, demons looked fantastic. So did Spider Baby and, and Brain Damage looked so good too. And Brain Brain Damage was a very low budget movie, and it still mm-hmm. just looked looked great. So awesome. So yeah. So then after that, uh, we went into our fourth movie, right yeah. into the fourth movie, and they came and announced uh, the last movie. And this was kind. I mean. Don't get. I had a good time with it still, but this was kind of the 
you know, the low point of the day, which kind of sucks that you end on that. I didn't hate the movie by any means. It just didn't fit the way the rest of... It wasn't like a grand finale or right. anything. The movie didn't fit with how the rest of the uh, schedule had been um, put together. So the last movie we watched was actually from this year, and it was called Summer of 84. And uh, this is uh, a movie that was directed by Francois Samard and Anouk Whistle. I probably did not pronounce those right, so I apologize. But uh, this uh, was a movie, and it's it's a movie that deals a lot with nostalgia. It's based in the 80s, obviously. Um, it's about this group of kids, and um, I felt a lot of like Stranger Things comparison had that same type of electronic score going on. Tried to take you in that almost Spielbergian type of sense. And here's the thing: it was it was like it was kind of a fun movie. Like I didn't hate it. I didn't think it was great, but I didn't like it was it was perfectly fine. It, like I said, it just didn't really match the rest of the, the films they programmed. Do you think you would have liked that movie more had you just watched it here on Blu-ray, separate from the programming that was done during the show? Because it seems yeah. like their programming up until that movie, it was like very heavy on like the cult movie yes. and very heavy on like like shocks. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think I, I, I agree with your statement. I probably would have enjoyed it a little more had I watched it outside of this uh, marathon because the other thing you write about all that and what I like all the three movies we watched I mean they're horror movies there's you know there are grimness in them but they're all fun movies yeah this movie at it's it's fun but like at the end it takes a very dark dark turn toward the end of the movie and it, it ends I'm not gonna say it's like it ends on a a bad note. It's just a downer of an ending, uh-huh. and it, it didn't. It, to me, it just didn't fit with the rest of of the marathon of films that I'd seen. So, with that being said, though, I had a blast, and I'm, okay. I'm really pumped that I did it. And like, is it worth the uh, the money? It was for me. I, okay, I, it was because just to see like those first three movies on a big screen. That was worth it, right there. For so, me. would you recommend when it comes around next year? You know, if somebody lives close to an Alamo. Or maybe not. You know, maybe they should go out of their way to go yeah, if, do it. Hey, here's my thing: is if you're, you know, if you're within a decent drive, say like maybe an hour. You know, I'm not saying like drive many miles, but like if you're in a vicinity of an Alamo, you should check it out. It was a good time. Well, awesome, man. That's uh, that's good to hear. Uh, do you want to move on to our main topic of the show? Let's do it. How's that beer treating you? Man, this is so good. I will tell you that right now. Uh, it's very autumny. It's very for the season. We got a cold day out today, and this these spices they are hitting the notes. All right. So this week's film is The Great Silence. This is directed by Sergio Corbucci, and Stacy. This was your pick this week. That's right. Uh, from 1968, uh, Sergio Corbucci. Uh, the film he did before The Great Silence, uh, famously Django. I, I would say it's one of the more famous spaghetti westerns. Yeah, man, I, I really like this movie. I, I thought it was very cool. It is very different from the typical spaghetti western, and I greatly appreciated that. Uh, do you have uh, just some initial thoughts? Yeah, so, had you seen this movie before? No, this is the first time I've seen it. It's actually really hard to find. Uh, they just came out with a Blu-ray of yes. it. Uh, who put that out? Yeah, so this Blu-ray was put... Out by uh, Film Movement Classics, I okay. believe. And this just came out, I think it was about a month or a couple months ago, somewhere in there. I know that when it was screening theatrically, I think Amazon had it to stream 
for a very short time. Sure. But other than that, I've not seen this movie really available. Yeah, this was a hard movie to come by. And uh, I I will say my initial thoughts. I loved this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is basically kind of... I know it's... <laughs> I can't name you a lot of films in this genre, but it is the snow western genre, if you want to say of sorts. It's a spaghetti western also. Uh-huh. But this movie takes place entirely in the snow. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, what is it, Northern Utah, I think is where they're at? That's 100% correct right there. Yeah. Snow Hill, Utah, to be exact. Uh Uh-huh. Um, so, first I want to get your initial thoughts on, kind of, Corbucci. Um, what do you think of him as a director? Because you're a little more familiar with his work than I am. Yeah, yeah, and you say that, I've not really seen that many of his films. I've seen Django, and I love Django, and it's such a different movie than this, um, now, Django does, it is very cynical like this movie is, but it's also got, like, a comic book flair to it. You know, the hero has, like, his theme song. It, it, if you haven't seen Django, you've probably seen Django Unchained, and the song in that, that's for the character, is the same song from the original Django. Um, mm-hmm. So, you've you probably heard the song, it's awesome. But you know he's he's played out like a he like superhero. He's got his own song. He he has these cool weapons. It's very much like uh, I I'm gonna reference a lot of like popular American films because they take from these movies. But uh, Desperado, you know how he has like all the weapons and stuff in the guitar case. Yep. Django has you know I hope this isn't a spoiler for you because no, you're fine, man. Um, but he's got like a machine gun in a coffin that he carries around. Okay. And it, it's a lot of fun. It, it's really gory, especially compared to, uh, like, the Sergio Leone films. You know, this is right before, like, Peckinpah brings the yep. gore to American westerns. I mean, Great Silence is very violent as well, but Django is, like, comic book, like, blood and gore. Over the top. Huh? Yeah, it, it is over the top, but it's a lot of fun. This film, it's... A, a little bit more serious. It's got more things on its mind. It's a much more thoughtful film, I yeah. think. Okay. From I didn't do a ton of research, but here's a thing. Couple things I'll bring to the table here on Kerbucci. <clears throat> so him and Leone were friends. Yeah. From what I understand, they both kind of came up around the same time. They were both doing kind of a different like genre pictures before this. Was it like was it sword and sandal films or kind of like? Yeah, yeah. Um, that was. That was big before, and it was still big during the westerns. But they did a lot of like Greek history movies, okay. and sandal films. Um, I mean, over in Italy, they made like what, like fifteen, yeah, Hercules films. You know, right. the ones with Steve Reeves, Reg Park. Mm-hmm. I think even Mario Bava did one. Yep, that's right. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, that's where they're cutting their teeth on. So they they did this, and from what I understand, Leone he got into uh, watching. Uh, you know, things like Yojimbo, right? Right, so, so the he, Kurosawa He got films. into Kurosawa, and then this was a big influence on him. And so he decided, hey, I'm going to take my hand at making some Westerns, use this style, but in a, in a Western setting, right? Yeah, uh, Fistful of Dollars is definitely... It's almost like a shot for shot, almost, yeah, right? Yeah, it, it, it is like a samurai film, and... Yeah, all of his movies kind of follow, like, the Japanese hero structure mm-hmm. of their samurai movies. Yeah, I mean, all these guys, they, they kind of work um, from... I'm pretty sure Kabuchi was an assistant director forever. Right. And he got into making westerns because it's like, they're so popular and they want them to churn out so mm-hmm. fast that they need more people to make them. This is the only way I can make movies. Yep. So, I'm going to do it. We had Leone make those, Leone make those first. 
Kerbucci gets into the westerns, and I guess you know he makes. I think he makes a couple before he does Django, like one or two. Yeah, they it, weren't as successful, from what I understand. I haven't seen them, so that's just what I've. Yeah, heard. yeah, same here. I I haven't seen them. Um, man, you, you think about the timing on all of this, it's pretty quick. I mean, Pitsful of Dollars right. is what sixty three. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you're talking about an explosion in like five years, and yeah. these movies are just hitting one after another. Which, if you study Italian film, like you'll kind of find out that. They will catch on to something, and they will Run turn out 100 <laughs> films in a year yeah, for sure. of the same thing. Yep. So, Carbucci, you know, he starts making them westerns. From what I understand, like, early on in his in his uh, development as a western filmmaker, he had an idea that he wanted to make a western in the snow. They wouldn't let him. They said, mm-hmm. you got to make these films. So, he made those films. Then he makes a hit, I think, in Django. Yeah, Django is... Man, Django is probably as popular as the man with no name movies because i mean there's what 30 unofficial Django sequels yeah. i think they only did one official sequel where kabuchi and um uh franco nero were actually involved mm-hmm. all the others are just ripoffs that use that Django name to sell the movie yeah so to bring that back around i guess is that success gets him the ability to make this western in the snow. Yeah, which... Is that what he wanted to make. And I'm pretty sure they shot this up in northern Italy. You know, they use, like, southern Italy, you know, for, as, like, Texas and Mexico and stuff. So, you know, use this for northern Utah. Yes, which is a gorgeous setting. Man. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, the fact that they shot all of this on location, there are some shots in this film that are just stunning. There is, man, yes. <laughs> some Just some beautiful widescreen photography just man gorgeous that's all yeah that's the only word i can come in my mind right now but it's just beautiful yes (laughs) so okay i guess that's enough setup let's get into it man yeah do you want to you like to read the like synopsis a mute gunslinger (laughs) fights in the defense of a group of outlaws and a vengeful young widow against a group of ruthless bounty hunters yeah i mean that about covers it there's a little bit more meat there than that but uh yeah, so um, Silence, the uh, the hero character, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this name, Jean-Louis uh, Trinidad. Trinidad. Um, so he's famously, he's probably more famous in film circles in his later career. Right. Uh, he was in uh, Three Colors Red and Amour, yep. which was a you know, great international success. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, Loco, who's played by the great Klaus Kinski. And yes. those are the two adversaries. Yep. And I, one quick side note here, which I, I find a bit strange. I don't know why this is. But in the in the original, like, or, there's one version. But depending on what, how subtitles you read, uh-huh. Kinski went by the name Tagiro. Yes. And then, but but in the version that me and you both watched, they, you know, they call him Loco as in the subtitles. Yeah, okay. So if you watch it in Italy... He's Tagiro. Okay. In America, he's Loco. Okay. So it it just depends on... And I'm pretty sure the Blu-ray has both versions. You can watch it. Right, it does. The Italian version or the um, the American I should, dub. I should ask you, what what? how did you watch it? I watched it dub because... Here's the thing with um, the Italian films from the time. Most of the times when they do these movies, they do them a lot of time with no sound. And they record an international soundtrack for these films. So, for me, it doesn't really matter, you know, what language Mm -hmm. 
you know, it's in, uh, typically, you know, they play really well. I mean, like, the Leone films, uh, they play better in English than they do right. Italian. Um, I, I didn't watch this film in Italian, so I don't really have a comparison. Okay, now I do. I didn't watch it the other way. So I don't know why I chose to watch the Italian version, okay. but I did. So I watched it with subtitles. I didn't. It didn't lose anything for me. Right. But I, I just, I think the only reason I chose to watch it that way, I was trying... I was trying to figure out which way I wanted to watch it. So I, I, I read a couple of reviews, like on Blu-ray.com or whatever. And they said, in their opinion, the English version is probably better as far as, you know, because, like you said, a lot of the actors actually talk in English in uh-huh. the movie. But they said, in their opinion, the subtitled version is more realistic to what the dialogue is, what like what they were actually saying. I don't know if that completely made sense to me, but I just went with it that way. Yeah, because, okay, so in this film, your main star is French. Mm-hmm. Your villain is German. Right. Okay, so you you have an international cast, and that's what they do because, you know, they, they sell their movies worldwide. Uh, they do this for all of their movies. They do it for their westerns, for their adventure films, you know, all those historic, uh, you know, Greek sword and sandal films you're talking about. Mostly start American bodybuilders. Yeah. And the villains would be, you know, British bad guys. Christopher Lee was a bad guy in a couple of them. So they're trying to get just great actors to come in and sell the movie. You know, that's how John Saxon became so famous. Okay. You know, doing, you know, movies like this. He was an international star and that's how they saw him. I like that. Yeah. So, (laughs) so for me, you know, whatever language you choose to watch this in, I don't think it matters too much. Sure. You know, it's visual storytelling. There's a bit of a side tangent. I just thought I was curious. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good thing to bring up. Different options. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Something we haven't mentioned yet. The score is done by Ennio Morricone. Right. It's a wonderful score. It's uh, it's more mellow. Than his Leone scores. Yes, I found that to be the the case as well, and I quite enjoyed the score. Yeah. very well composed. So, um, I've got I've got a bunch of notes. Um, yeah, let's just get into it. So, yeah. you know, we we get into the movie. We've got some bounty hunters on our hands. Yeah, and so you know, right off bat, we get Klaus Kinski, and we get a, another bounty hunter uh, that he is friends with. Uh, do you remember that man's name? Right no. Off bat? <laughs> um, I'm gonna say though, man, they do this a couple times. I've got this in my notes. That opening wide shot, mm-hmm. when it goes like super wide, it's like they had to frame that like they were in the mountains or something, framing that, you know, shooting down. Yeah. And it just looks like a speck. And I, yeah. I love all those like <laughs> wide shots, dude. Yeah. We have some some guys that, uh, you know, they get shot up a little bit in the beginning. You know, we get introduced to silence pretty on. Um, I have down that uh, silence shoots a dude in both hands. Yeah, um, blows and, his thumbs uh, off so he can't off. use his guns. So we come to understand that about him. And uh, he tells him, hey, guess what? You're never going to shoot again. Yeah. And I just wrote down badass. Yeah, it is badass. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty awesome. Well, Silence doesn't tell him that, though. Right. Because he can't talk. Um, <laughs> yeah, and... I, was, I was saying that from my end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> Sorry. I, I was a little confused. Yes. Yeah, so that part's awesome. Like, his pursuit of these bounty hunters, and you find out that the bounty hunters have been paid off by this, like, leech of a man who resides in the town to, like, take out all these outlaws. And they're kind of... The outlaws... Or living kind of like a Robin Hood type life where, like, mm-hmm. they rob passerbyers and it's just to eat. Right. That's all it is. And from from my understanding, it, the outlaws are that way because, like, 
their jobs or the things that they did, it's like they were bought out by that town, like they were forced to leave or they weren't given jobs and they were forced into this lifestyle. So it is, it's got a very Robin Hood feel to it. Yes. As far as like, you know, his relationship and how he's helping these outlaws. Right. Yeah. Um, because they're not bad people. They're just trying to survive. Yeah. You know, and it's a brutal environment to survive in. I, I've got that, I thought the snow, and, and you see it like, it's bright white, just the beginning of the movie. Uh, it's a big contrast to other films in this genre. Mm-hmm. And there are westerns that, like you said, are shot in the snow and stuff. But like for spaghetti westerns, I can't think of one that comes to mind. I'm sure there's something, but... I, I thought it was such a contrast to, like, the Leone Westerns, which are yep. usually take place, you know, in southern Texas, you know, in Mexico. Yeah, a big contrast. Yeah, yeah. so I, I thought that was really awesome. I liked it a lot. I feel like maybe people saw, like, that scene in The Searchers yeah. when they're in the snow. And they're like, this looks awesome. Why have people not done this more? <laughs> yeah, that was probably, a, I would guess, a big influence right there. <laughs> yeah, because I can't even think of American Westerns before, like... Macabre no. Mrs. Miller, right? Bef- like where they were doing stuff yeah. in the snow. But yeah, it looks awesome. The way the politics in this film play out. So the bounty hunters and the lawmen. <laughs> uh, it's like they have capitalist interest, capitalism interest, and the outlaws are the ones who are kind of the heroes in this film. You know, they're they're the everyman. They're the one that's brought down by the system. And I thought that was kind of interesting because in most of these films, you know, like bounty hunters will be good guys or you get the, like the anti-hero. That's right. very popular in the Spaghetti Western. And Silence is an anti-hero in that he he tricks people into him being able to murder them, basically. Yeah. And they, they up front say that. Like, he too is kind of a piece of shit. Right. Uh, you know, Klaus Kinski tells them that <laughs> when they have their first confrontation. Yeah. You know, because he, what he does is he antagonizes people to the point to where they'll draw his gun, and he is so fast, and he has an automatic weapon where most people don't, Yeah, and he is able to kill them. Yeah. He's got a cool little gun, man. Yeah, it's a Mauser. It's a, or Mauser, Mauser. Yeah, it's a cool gun, and his holster, uh, I thought it was really cool that the holster is a stock yeah. on the weapon. It catches it, too. And so when I play Resident Evil 4... There's a gun called Red Nine that's like designed after this movie. Very so nice. it's the Mauser, and you can buy a stock for it All right. to make it more accurate. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Very cool. It's Very a cool good. gun. Yeah. <laughs> I think you can get a Mauser in the Red Dead games too. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention real quick is you know we we get you know like we talked about we get Silence's kind of intro. How about um, seeing some what Kinski as Loco can do? Okay. Yeah. So there's a scene early on where he whips a man. Yeah, so I've got that um, listed, too. Uh, I thought the way that was shot is very much like a horror film. Yeah, it was brutal, Like, quick cutting, and the music's more panicky. Yeah. So he just takes that whip, and he just... He starts whipping him. And finally, like, he gets that that right whip where it attaches onto the guy. Yeah. And he just starts dragging him. He drags him until he gets the answer he wants. And then after he gets the answer, he shoots him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and the thing about the bad guys, it's like the, or bad guys, the bounty hunters, you know, the people who are right by the law, they relish in killing. They're worse than the people that they're chasing. Yeah, this is true. You know, Loco ends up, they go to this this town, and he's he ends up getting there, and he's wanting to collect his bounties. So, before that, Loco ends up killing, um, there's a few people who uh, branch off from the outlaws, Mm -hmm. 
and he kills um, Paulina's husband. Yes. So he kills him and leaves him there and tells her not to bury him, that he's going to be back for him. Yep. And, you know, he goes to, you know, collect all the other bodies that he's killed. Yes. And he was interrogating that guy to find out where that guy was, right? Yes. So, Paulina is, she's driven by revenge, so she wants to hire Silence to get revenge and kill Loco. Yep. So, that's the thrust of the story. Right. And you actually, I think, if I remember right, there's a there's actually a couple ladies that want him revenge. <laughs> Yeah. Because there's another lady, I think early on, a little earlier too, I was like, uh, he killed, like, Loco kills her son. Uh And then she, like, asks Silence to avenge his death Yeah, well. well. um, So that one is actually Loco's partner is the one that kills him. But that is one of our first scenes with Loco and the other bounty hunter. Okay. And it's really cool because he comes in and they pretend like, oh, we're going to take you in, like, drop your gun and stuff, you know, we're going to take you in. And they murder him in cold blood. Yeah. You know, she freaks out about this. And this is where you kind of see, like, oh, man, like, the bounty hunters, like, the lawmen, like, they're the bad guys. Yeah. They're doing the bad stuff. Right. And I also think it's interesting, the timing of this film, it, it hits before... The American 70s vigilante film, which I think is the reverse politically... This type of movie, because in those movies, it's very much that that behavior is justified. The bad people are so bad and justice is never served that they have to kill these people for good common folk to be safe. And this film kind of looks at it on like, well, it's circumstantial and everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a reason and stuff. And like, these people are ruthless. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting, an interesting contrast. I I also read that uh, Corbucci was really depressed when making this film, and he was upset <coughs> by the death of Malcolm X and uh, Che Guerrera. Yeah. So, the kind of influenced, you know, the injustice yeah. of, um, you know, the world. Yes. And that uh, that plays out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One okay, so one thing I kind of want to hit on real quick, uh, <clears throat> yeah, is you know Loco, uh, his his bounty hunter friend. I had written down chicken dinner, dude. I got that. Okay, so <laughs> the eating bounty hunter repug. Yeah, it, it, Look, it's like like Dinothor. Yeah, so you get like they're in in this you know Dinothor from Return of the Kings. The Dinothor. Everybody's eating. seen that movie. <laughs> When he's just eating. It's like so gross. Popping cherry tomatoes in his mouth and just yeah. eating chicken legs or whatever he's eating. But <laughs> anyway, so this scene, like, you, you know, they're inside this tavern or whatever. Yeah. And this bounty hunter has, like, ordered just, like, a whole chicken. And he is eating it in the most grotesque fashion yeah. ever. Like, he has no concern of nastiness on him. Like, yeah. he's just ripping the chicken apart. He's, like... Just a rude dude. Just has nastiness all over his fingers. It's it's it was disgusting, but I liked it a lot. Yeah, it was really cool. And then you get the you know silence comes in, burst open the door. So like, you know, you got the the heroic stranger standing in the doorway with the snow billowing in. Um, people in the bar seem to know who he was, right? Because they were like telling you know the bounty hunter like, oh, don't get agitated, mm-hmm. don't. And the bounty hunter is like, you need to shut the door. Real quick on that, I just want to, side note, I might be reaching here. Okay. But, on shutting that door, I'm sure he, 
I got a hateful eight cents on that because I know Tarantino, you know, gets things. He got a lot from this movie. Oh by the way. yeah, but. It, it, I kind of laughed about it, and maybe, you know, I know it's just one thing, but, like, there's a constant running gag in The Hateful Eight when someone comes in that tavern, and everybody's like, shut the door! Yeah. Anyway, I just got a sense of that when he opened that door, and it was so cold, and the bounty hunter's like, shut the damn door! And I was yeah. like, hey, I think that was a little Hateful Eight, like, thing right there. Yeah, no, <laughs> no I totally get that. Um, <laughs> and I mean, it makes sense because, you know, the way things were heated back then have to shut off the cold and stuff. They didn't have right. heaters. <laughs> so he antagonizes this guy by not shutting the door. And yeah. dude, like, draws on him yep. and gets blown away. Yeah, he made a bad choice. And the guys in the bar have a discussion and they kind of explain, like, what's going on. So they're, they're like... Oh, he murdered that guy. And he's like, no, this guy drew first, so it's not murder. Um, and that's why it's okay, because it was self-defense. And then you find out silence only kills people in self-defense. I'm going to interact one second here. Okay. In my notes, I wrote down that silence kills Charlie. So I think that other bounty hunter's name was Charlie. Oh, okay. That's what I'm going to go with. And that is a man, uh, his actor's name was Bruno... Karazari. I'm just throwing that in there. No, no, that's fine. That's good info. Because we keep calling him the other guy. Yeah. So I th- I believe his name was Charlie. All right. But he's dead now. <laughs> in the movie. I don't know about real life. I, I have a note following this scene. So I assume it's a wonderful scene with Klaus Kinski. But I just wrote Klaus Kinski is great. And I think this is one mm-hmm. of my favorite performances I've seen from him. Oh, he's really good. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think this is one of the best villains in a spaghetti western ever. Because mm-hmm. if you think about spaghetti westerns, most of the villains, are, it's like a gang leader who's kind of not memorable. You know, it's like, you know, because from the first $2 films, it's, uh, you know, just like a bad gang member that, yep. you know, they have to kill. And then in Good, Bad, and the Ugly, there's not really a main bad guy. I mean, if you want to count Lee Van Cleef, you know, that performance is great. But really the only, like, they all do awful things. But the really, really evil thing he does is the intro of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, outside of this, I mean, it's what? Henry Fonda and Once Upon a Time in the West for, like, best villain in this type of movie? Oh, yeah, definitely. So I I thought Klaus Kinski, like, his performance is... Oh, so good. It it really, like, anchors the movie as far as, like, acting goes. Yeah, he's great, man. I mean, this is up there with his best performances that he did with Herzog. I mean, this is one of his best performances. Like, I felt his, like, presence. I felt his, you know, wrath. I just... Oh, it's such a physical performance. It was. He's great. And his outfit is killer. Oh, it is. Yeah, he looks good. A costume he, design all around is really good in this film. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. Like, I Silence's love, look is really yeah, good. Yeah, like, early on in the film, like, Silence is wearing this this jacket. Or this, with the know, fuzz. And it looks like he has, like, dreadlocks I saw the same. So, like, it, it took me a little bit to figure out. Like, at first I thought, this dude has, like, crazy long hair. And then he, you know, finally I got a shot where I could tell, like, oh, that's just, like, you know, animal hair or whatever on the back of it. What's a dude in a, you know, Italian Western doing with dreadlocks? That's true. <laughs> weird. But, yeah, no, that jacket's awesome. Yeah, it's really great. Uh, yeah. So, Best jacket game until Macabre Mrs. Miller. Oh, for sure, man. I will, uh, I will, that has been my stamp of approval. You're, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, I don't know, what what I have written down next uh-huh. is um, a quote, 
Maybe you can help me out with this quote because I have a hard time sometimes. Which would be interesting because we watched it in different languages. We did. So this quote was, what a time we live in when a black's worth more than a white man. Oh, that that is true. Um, that's in both cuts. So they were talking about Paulina's husband. Okay, that's what I thought, but and I wanted to double check because I wrote that down a little after his death. Because so. I think he's worth like $500 or something. Right. And, and it's that, like, it's the same value as the other people that he killed. And that comes because from Kinski's mouth. I yeah, believe. he kills four people yeah. and he collects that bounty from the sheriff's office, which is, excuse me, the newly appointed sheriff yeah. who they all ride in a cabin together. Mm-hmm. Or stagecoach. So you got Silence, the new sheriff, and Loco, or Tagiro. They yes. all ride in the stagecoach okay. to approach town. Right. Okay, so I've got this written down real quick. I, I should have read my notes a little more there. Okay, so Loco says this after shooting, after he shoots uh, Pauline's husband. Uh-huh. And it's in front of her that he shoots it. And she has said says that. Well, and, and he uses her to draw him out. Yeah. And so she has to wait, like you said earlier, to bury the body until he's picked up his, his bounty. Uh-huh. Right? So yeah, next, I want to talk about that stagecoach scene. Because, again, if you've seen Hateful Eight, this this was, a I think, a, a very big influential scene oh, on Hateful yeah. Eight. Oh, yeah. I love Hateful Eight a lot, by the way. But this, you know, Tarantino, he uses a lot from other movies. Not I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying that he does. And so He's the king of pastiche. Sure. And so this this whole scene is great. So you you know at first you you know it it's um, just a couple guys on and, and it, you constantly get a few more people on the stagecoach and they're having a conversation. It also reminded me of that movie because you know here we get to meet the new sheriff. Uh-huh. You know, we have really get to meet the new sheriff here. Yeah. And you know same with um, as in um, Hateful Eight. You know that sheriff is kind of new in town as well in that movie. Like at least he says he is. So. I really see like a direct correlation between the two movies here, uh-huh. and it's really great, great stuff. <laughs> yeah, that seems really good because you get to find out just how sleazy uh, Loco is, yeah. and like the sheriff is just completely put off by this. Um, and I would say the sheriff is the moral compass of the film. He's definitely the person who I think is the voice for Kabuchi, and like this is the man who like if. If everything worked right, this is how it would be. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we don't need bounty hunters. The outlaws will leave you alone if you just, like, you have extra food. Give them the extra food. You're not hurting yourself. It's just the extra. What you can spare, right. you know, give it to them, and yep. everything will be right. fine. So I should say, before we get the stagecoach scene, scene we do get introduced to, sh- to the sheriff, and he's in, you know, he's riding his horse. A lot of these, a, a lot of the folk, around that live around who mm-hmm. are needing food and who are so-called outlaws yeah they surround him and he's kind of scared for his life thinking that they're going to kill him right well they're like get off your horse we're not going to kill you we want your horse because yeah. we want to eat the meat yeah so that's how he gets stranded in the first place to find his way to the stagecoach which that group of people comes into play later but we get introduced to them at that time and so i think um it's 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 a good introduction to this character and like you said, he kind of goes into about, you know, kind of himself about what the situation is. Another thing during this whole time I found interesting was another quote. I don't know who said this one, by the way, but they said uh, they call him silence because the silence of death follows him. 
Yeah. Which I thought was a really sweet quote. Which, at that time, <laughs> I, I still think they don't know he's a mute. Yes, that's right. Um, we don't find out he's a mute until he meets with Paulina yes. in town. She kept, keeps asking him and basically declaring that he's rude because he's not answering her. And then he pulls the scarf away and shows his slit throat. Yep. And then, at that point, we get like the details of what she wants and what he's going to do. Yes. And he gets bored there. Yep. So, he goes to bed and it does this really cool thing where... Uh, it focuses on the candle and him watching the candle, and then we're treated to a flashback showing how yeah. he became who he is. Yeah, yeah, it's a really and good scene. I, I really like the flashback in this movie. It reminded me a lot of uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Mm-hmm. Does a very similar thing, yeah. explaining Harmonica, you know, why he's the way he is, and I think that's interesting. And it's it's not like movie is copying off of one another. I'm pretty sure they were filming at the same time. Which, as a side note. On that Blu-ray release, there's a documentary from, I think, 67 that is talking about the Spaghetti Western craze, and they cover the making of Great Silence. Like, they go Mm -hmm. and visit the set because it's the movie that he's working on at that point, and they talk about Once Upon a Time in the West being in production and talk to those actors. So, they were in production around the same time. I, I think it's I think it's an interesting uh, way to tell that story. I, I think that the flashbacks in both films work really well, and I like them a lot. Yeah, I'd have to agree. One thing I'll say real quick on that flashback is, like, one of the reasons I like it so much, too, is, like, it doesn't go in great depth. Like, there's enough there to show you what's happened to him, what his past is, and why he's in the situation that he is physically. Yeah, in some movies, I, it, I think... Yeah. Sometimes, if you do it wrong, mm-hmm. I think it kills the movie. Sure. Like, it kills the pace of the movie. That's why, like, I know we we're talking about this earlier, and this is way mm-hmm. different tangent, but, like, Basket Case, mm-hmm. that movie, the flashback in that film kind of killed it for me because okay. it was so long that, it, like, it stopped the movie dead, and it's like, it stopped the flow of the film, it's like, concentrate on this. Mm-hmm. For this movie, the way it's done, you know, you have that wonderful fade in, fade out on an object... And then you're only shown what you need to be shown. You get a scene. Yeah, it works great. It really does. Great flow in the movie. All right, what next? Um, all right, man. So um, after that, you have the wonderful scene of uh, the sheriff and Silence talking while Silence is doing uh, practice, while he's practicing with his gun. Yes. And you, you come to find out that like Silence, it, he kind of has the upper hand in these situations because... Like, he has better technology than everybody he faces. So, you know, that's a little underhanded and stuff. But you get this great scene of, like, the sheriff eating, like, a raw potato that (laughs) they shot. And it's a really cool scene. I just got, like, Silence's gun is awesome. Yeah. It's a great design. So it keeps building and building. Um, You find out that Paulina is coveted by this guy who... He's a major character and I didn't write his name down. But he's the guy who runs the town, and he's the guy who... He's a banker, and yes. he... I think he also declared that he was, like, justice of the peace. Yes. So he, like, was the one who is responsible for paying the bounties. Yeah. So, yes, this guy, uh, real quick, I'll just say, um, in the film, his his name is Polycut, or Polycut, uh-huh. and his his act, actor name in real life is Luigi Pastilli. Yeah, so he's really good in the movie. He's very, uh, very gross and warmy. Um, yeah. <laughs> Paulina comes up to him with an offer because Silence says it's going to take a thousand dollars 
to, you know, for him to kill Loco. Yeah. And Paulina goes and offers to sell her house. Right. You know, because this guy, from my understanding, he's buying up parts of this town. He just wants control of everything. Yep. And she gives him a really good deal on that, and he wants to just have sex with her. He's like, yeah, I'll take that if, uh, you know, you give me your body. Yeah. And you come to find out, like, maybe that's why he put the bounty on her husband in the first place. Yeah. Is because she wouldn't be his... just wants to bone her. Yeah. (laughs) Wouldn't be his mistress, so... Yeah. That kind of like takes the movie forward, and then you get um, Loco and Silence's first interaction, where Silence goes in, and it's a really great scene where he's antagonizing him. Yes, and uh, Loco's playing at takes a, place in a tavern. Again. Yeah, he's playing a poker game uh, with his buddies, and Silence like throws a match into his drink, and he just like shrugs it off, takes the thing out. And then, like, when that doesn't work, Silence throws this full cigar into Loco's drink. And <laughs> Loco tells him, like, I know exactly what you're doing. He's like, I know you. I know what you do. I know you don't like me. And I know you're here to kill me. But I'm not going to mess with this. And then he has his friends take his belt off for him. Because there can't be any confusion yeah. for, like, self-defense. And then Loco <laughs> beats the hell out of him. Yep. And then Silence is able to defend himself. He hits him with a log. Right. Um, the sheriff comes in. Smashes through like a window. Really, yeah. Really great stuff. And the sheriff comes in and breaks it up because Loco is about to grab his gun. Right. To fire on Silence. And I think the sheriff in that moment is actually saving Loco's life. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. had he grabbed that gun, Silence would have killed right. him and it would have been over. And during that time, you know... Uh, Loco's friends are yeah. there and they actually start shooting. Silence takes him out. He kills all of them. He gets injured in the process. Yeah. And yeah, he takes them all down. Great scene. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool scene. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. And then you get... I, I thought the romance was a little tacked on in this film. You know, Silence and Pauline end up hooking up. Because... She, so he gets hurt, like you said, and she's mending him and then they just hook up. There was... There's no need for it, but I will say this as I, it's a, this is a progressive film. Yeah, it's like what probably one of the first interracial right. sex scenes. So I, I do think it is important that you see a, a white man and a black woman having sexual relations on screen. Like I do think. Well, you think it's important to see that? I do. You pervert. Sorry, not in that way. Oh, whatever. <laughs> but I think this is uh, a, a a movie that's. You know, trying to say more than just oh, this on the is a super here. liberal film, right? So I, I really, I do agree with you on the the tact on part. You know, we don't necessarily need the romance. There's no build to it, and <laughs> right. if you kind of think about it, it's kind of shitty because her mm-hmm. husband just died. Now I will say the other thing, like other than you know, her husband did guys did did just die. So like, you know, another thing I found to be interesting is like, you know, she's the one that makes the move on him. Yeah, well, and originally she offers because she says like. I, I couldn't sell my house. I can't pay you, but I'll give you my body. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. And then he has the... I think it's right after that scene is when he confronts Loco because she was willing to give up her body for him. Mm-hmm. Then he goes to the bar to fight him. Yeah. And that's when you get, like, this, you know, mending scene. Right. After that, you find out that, like, the sheriff has confiscated all the money from Loco so he can't pay his bail. Yep. And he's going to take him... He puts him him in jail, actually, for a night. Yeah, he puts him in jail. And then, like, the guy who runs the town is like, well, I'm going to pay for his bell. And the sheriff's like, no. 
this guy's a criminal. He's going to go up and he, like, I'm taking him to the big town, big city, and, like, a proper judge is going to judge this guy. Like, we're just getting it taken care of. So they go on a journey to, you know, get him, like, justice. Yeah. Now, during that, they come across the outlaws, and the sheriff tells the outlaws, like, hey, I told the people before I left that you guys were going to come, and I told them that if they just set out some provisions for you, everything's going to be fine. So there's going to be some food on the edge of town. Don't bother anybody. Just go get these provisions and go on your way, and everything's going to be fine. Yeah. So that that moment kind of sets up the third act for the film. So then Loco ends up like getting away. Yeah. So there's kind of this funny scene. You've got you know the sheriff. He's got Loco with him. They're making a little bit of a journey. Loco's like, it does a great job actually. A you know a visual play early in the film. Mm-hmm. We we see Loco hide this gun in the snow, and we're not really sure why at the time. Yeah. But he does, and it comes back to play later in the movie. We get back to that spot, and Loco knows where that spot is, where he hid that gun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he makes the excuse, you know, hey, uh, I have to go use the bathroom, and it's an emergency. And so the sheriff's like, okay, fine. He keeps the handcuffs on him, but he lets him get off the horse. Loco goes just a little bit away to where he hid his gun, mm-hmm. drops the pants down, acts like he's using the bathroom, and he finds his gun that he has hid away. And he shoots the ice underneath. Yeah, so I think that's interesting too because do you think that was a purposeful thing, shooting the ice to be like he's still within like the wall? Like if anybody found yes. the sheriff's body, yes, you can't I, say he was murdered. Right, that's exactly how I felt. Yeah, that, that's what I thought too. Loco doing loco things, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so then you get this like race to this cabin. Where it's a beautiful shot. Um, I don't know if you remember it, but Mm -hmm. so the camera's like pulled super far out and you just see this black dot of just Loco on the horse. Yes. And then the cabin. And oh my God, it's such a good shot. It is. It's a great shot. Yeah. Yeah. And then you find out that like, this is just like a hideaway for all the bounty hunters. And he tells them like, hey, all of those outlaws... They're going to be in this one place at one time. We can kill all of them, get the bounties, and the bounty hunter killer, Silence, is going to be there. Yep. He killed your guys. He mm-hmm. killed your brother. We go to this town. He's there. We can kill him. Yep. So that kind of, like, that's the thrust of the third act. So them coming to intercept the outlaws. Yep. Then you get this, like, you get this great scene of um, of the guy who runs the town. He comes in and he attacks Silence and Paulina. Yes. Like, he's going to rape her in front of him. Yeah, it's a very disturbing scene. Yeah, and he's got his thug in there. Yep. And his thug, like... Thug is holding down on Silence, trying to... And he burns and, his hand. Right. And Silence is injured, so it makes sense that he, you know, doesn't have full control of himself. And yes, there's, like, a big... Pot of coal like a, yeah, or something. Like a kettle or something. And yeah, the, the thug takes Silence's hand and just stuffs Which it Which I think is interesting because, like, uh, the mutilated hands thing, it seems to be a common thread yeah, in like the Italian Western. Yeah, the thumbs. Well, that and, um, and, and Django, hands mm-hmm. are messed okay. up. Um, also, I'm pretty sure in A Fistful of Dollars, mm-hmm. in that first film, um, the hands get fucked up. Yep. Like, before the final confrontation when he gets right. the shit kicked out of him. Yep. So, and you also get this thing, you get a flashback during that as well, explaining the town leader, how he was the bounty hunter 
who killed Silence's parents, and like Silence went to get revenge on him and blew his thumb blew off. His thumb off, yeah. And it, it kind of comes full circle. Now he's and getting his revenge back on Silence. I know. I I've got this thing written down like uh, 1989 Batman. Bad okay. guy makes hero. Like it's kind of that thread sure. of like I made you, you made me. Yeah. That type of thing. That's, that's I good, thought that was interesting. Yeah, but, um, yeah, the hands mutilation, that seems to be a common thread. And I, I understand it because if you think about it, it's like, well, how are you going to, like, show a gunslinger weekend? You know, because the hero has to overcome um, some debilitating thing. And it's like, you, if you've shown this guy in the beginning of the movie to be the greatest gunslinger around, how are you going to make a challenge for him? Yeah. And I, maybe that's why they do the mutilation of the hands, but it, it, it's common in many of these films. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting, uh, but he does get out of it. He, he gets, gets the of, better of him. He takes the, the dude's face that was holding him when he gets out of it, and he takes his face and stuffs it in the cold. It's pretty yeah. brutal. Pretty great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And when the awesome. guy like, gets out of <laughs> the house, he like straight goes for the snow and just plants yeah. into the snow to like <laughs> try to save himself. Which is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty great stuff. So, after all this, uh, you know, we get towards our our final confrontation here. Uh-huh. Set us up. All right, man. So, uh, I think, was there a townspeople, like a scout, saying, like, the bounty hunters are coming? Yes. So, the bounty hunters are coming, and the outlaws are coming as well. Yeah, a big, a big merge happening here. And it's like, we have to do something, and... Silence is so hurt by this point, because he got the shit kicked out of him just now. Mm-hmm. Paulina's like... No, you gotta save yourself. Like, I love you. We gotta save each other. So, she hides him in a barn. Because the thought is, like, Loco's gonna come and kill him. So, this lady that's, like, Paulina's friend. She's kind of like this, um... Like... I don't want to say, like... I don't mean it's a derogatory thing. It's just, you know, she's, uh... Outspoken lady. Sure. Um, that's how she's portrayed. Yep. And, um, you know, she she comes and tells them, you know, to hide and stuff. She pushes the ladder away. And the bounty hunters finally come up and they're like, hey, what's going on? You know, where are these people? And I, I think they're told by um, the banker guy, his assistant, yep. the guy with the burnt face is like, hey, this guy's here. This is where they're at. That's where you go. Go kill him. And that lady goes to defend him. Because she, throughout the movie, she's like... You guys are rotten. Mm-hmm. You're doing this. Like, you're making all these people poor and stuff. She pulls a gun, and Klaus Kinski just, just blows, blows her away. Her away. Yep. <laughs> and he says, he's like, oh, you saw. She drew on me first. Yeah. So right. then they go in, and they gather, gather all the outlaws, and they end up tying them up in the saloon. Yep. A thing sent to uh, Paulina basically telling her that like they have everybody yeah. while this is happening we've got paulina and and we've got uh uh silence who are hid away at the top of this barn um you know trying to hide from what yeah you know, getting murdered and silence is like i have to go i have to do this and she's like if you do this you're gonna die yep like you can't do this we can run away it doesn't matter and you know his sense of honor and good he goes and he tries to, you know, fight. Yeah. And to do this stuff. And I think what's really interesting in this film, so he goes there mm-hmm. and he can't even draw. They no. blow him away. It's, it, 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 it's, it's quite like... It's shocking. I was taken back. Yeah. Like, it's been nice. Like, I apologize to everybody. I hope you watch this movie before you listen to well, this. Well, yeah. I mean, but, we, we've talked but, about the movie in depth. Yes. I... I 
I've never had this movie spoiled for me or anything. Yeah, so same like, here. I didn't know it was going to happen. And what happens, you know, when, when you see silence get blown away, like, for me, I was like, wow. Well, and they play it out so slow where he's shot by, like, there's a guy guarding the window and Loco comes out and he's taunting silence. And it's like, he knows... Like mm-hmm. he just he knows like they're gonna win yeah and he's just what's he gonna his... do like yeah in reality like this is a movie set in reality so like this isn't like gunslinger with amazing like ability that's no like... grand heroics is right. gonna save anyone like there's nothing that's gonna be done except for him to die here if you know so as soon as silence goes to pull his gun there's like a sniper in the window that shoots him yep and then they play it so slow. To where you think, like, maybe he'll get out of this. Maybe he'll save people. And then, like, Loco just lays into him. And it's like, oh, he's he's dead. Yeah. Our hero's dead. <laughs> and then Paulina rushes in. Yep. And they kill her, too. Yep. Both and, done. <laughs> and then you get this great, awful scene where they go back into the bar yep. and they kill like, every yep. single person Everybody. there. It's, it's a massacre. The bad guys win. Not not a single bad guy lo- yep. life is lost. There's no grand like showing. Yep. It's like, it's so nihilistic and dark. Yep. And it, I, I loved it. I think it's so different mm-hmm. for like this type of movie. And I, I think it's like a really like hard criticism of like, this is what happens when, yeah. like, you give this much power to law and order. Yeah. Because sometimes the law can be cruel. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the thing is, they did all this stuff. And by the end of this movie, you should be feeling awful. Yeah. Like, your hero and your heroine were gunned down. And all these people were murdered in cold yeah. blood. And all of it was done within the realms of law and order. Yeah. Like, nothing's going to happen to these bounty hunters. No. Like, they're going to get paid for they're what they just paid. did. They're going to be fine. But <clears throat> I think this is, like, I'm not I'm not going to get too political, but I think to this day and age, this is still an important movie. Like, watching well, it now. Yeah. This is a very important movie, and it has lasting effects on what it's trying to say um, politically and um, socially. And, man, I, I, I felt it. Like, I was disturbed. Like, I was, I was very pumped for what i saw because uh-huh. like the way the movie plays out this is this is how it should end like w- when you think back on the movie as, as a whole piece of work but to see it play out it's very disturbing well i i think like just from like the flip side of a coin i think it's interesting to watch this movie you know in comparison to like a dirty harry or a death wish where like you know those films are like absolute law and justice yeah. well this film you know it's like, well, there's a human element to this. Yeah. And I, I think that's very interesting. And I definitely think, like, you know, and I, I love those movies from the 70s. Sure. Like, I know people were, like, politically offended and stuff by them, like, thinking that they were fascist. But, like, Dirty Hair is a good movie. It's an entertaining film. And you don't have to agree with the politics of a movie right. to, like, enjoy it, sure. I think. Yep. And, like, this movie is definitely, I, I would say, is very liberal and maybe pushing some elements of socialism and such but i you know you don't have to agree with the politics i think it's got interesting things to say and you know it's a fascinating movie to watch yeah and for me i don't know about you but this was definitely i mean i i'm trying to think offhand and i can't but this is like probably if not the darkest one of the darkest westerns i've ever seen oh 
There's, um, man, there's some dark westerns I need to show you. Okay. But, um, <laughs> yeah, um, High Plains Drifter, man. Okay. Ooh. I've never seen that movie. Oh, that movie's uh, awesome. Lastly, but, um, yeah, no, this, ahead, like, um, I'm gonna say, like, for the Italian western, like, that, uh, subgenre of film, I think that this movie definitely has the most to say. It's not my favorite in this subgenre, but mm-hmm. I definitely think it's got, like, a conscience and a human element to it that the other films don't have. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to read something real quick. This will just take a second, so I hope I don't bore people too bad. But this is, uh, the, the Blu-ray came with a little booklet, and this is um, an essay that was written by Simon Abrams, and I just want to leave, read the very last paragraph on the movie, because I think it really kind of sums up what we're talking about here. Silence's use of force to protect Burnett's law have now been supplanted by... Uh, Loco's perverse manipulation of Burnett's own rules. Carbucci and his collaborators in The Great Silence and uh, Loco live because they reject the American myth of melting pot style integration. In this movie, sadism and greed are democracy's only long-standing tenets. And God help you if you still think right makes might. So, I really like that paragraph and I think that paragraph does a good job summing up that ending. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that as well. Uh, what did you think of this movie overall? Yes, yeah, so this this was a treat for me. I really enjoyed it. I gave it four stars on my letterbox. Um, this is a movie I'm going to come back to, like, yeah, no doubt. I really liked it. You know, if I have any... Um, yeah, what criticism? Any criticism? I think it's a bit sloppy at times in some of its editing and some of its action. Um, not like where... It didn't distract me Here's or anything. The thing I just noticed it some. We didn't talk about this, but a thing I thought was really sloppy was if you're going to film a dolly shot, maybe don't do it while riding a horse. Right. No, for sure. Like some of those <laughs> shots, while there are shots in this movie that are absolutely stunning and beautiful, there are equally shots that are garbage. Yeah. There and are, it's like, why did you do this? There are some, some head scratching moments. <laughs> yeah. And there are parts that are like not very well edited. Right. It's like the coverage was not shot very well, and maybe they didn't have much to work with, but like some of it is edited poorly and shot poorly, which is disappointing compared to like some of those wide shots, man. Yes. And, and like, yeah. had, had the film had maybe um, more visual coherence, like this film could be a masterpiece, you know, on the same scale of like a good, the bad, and the ugly, or once upon a time in the West. Yeah, and it sounds like me and you are on the same page on that because I, I agree completely with mm-hmm. you. You know, sounds like you gave it around the same yeah, yeah, point of thoughts. I, I, I think I gave it four and a half on okay. the thing. But I, I think I was mostly impressed that it was doing something different in the genre. Oh, yeah. That other films weren't doing. And I was so taken by that Klaus Kinski performance. Yeah. Like, man, it, it really is truly one of the best Western villains I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, and I can't, like, stress to you enough how good it makes... It made me feel just to watch... A, a western in the snow and like the whole movie's in the snow and just to see the cinematography it's like you don't I don't feel that very often watching a, a movie on this type of scope and you just you feel it the whole time and yeah. that like man that is mesmerizing right there it's yeah great. for sure and again like you said I, I really responded to the performances here and it's a movie that uh, like I said I am pumped to rewatch again because I think it's going to be a regular in my uh you know, when I get around to watching Westerns. Yeah, for so. sure, man. So I would say, you know, Red Dead Redemption 2 is like the biggest game in the world right now. It's one of the biggest media things in the world right now. So, you know, if you're having fun playing that game and thinking like, I kind of want to watch a movie like this, 
check out The Great Silence. Uh, I'm pretty sure you could rent it off Amazon. And then there's uh, the Blu-ray release with the wonderful, it was a 2K uh, scan. Yes, so we have a nice scan here. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and give this Blu-ray a shout out. Again, it's by Film Movement Classics. This is the 50th anniversary restoration. I will tell you, uh, you watched the documentary. Yeah. I did not get a chance to watch the documentary, but I did watch another thing on there, which was Alex Cox talking about the movie. Yeah, and, and about director Kabuchi. of uh, Repo Men and yes. Sid and Nancy. Yes. Uh, he, if you've never listened to him talk, he is a brilliant man and he knows what he's talking about. A film and scholar. He is... Just, I mean, not only is he smart, but he is enjoyable to listen to. So it's only, it's like a 15 minute uh, thing where he talks about Kerbucci. And it's, I learned a lot from that. Um, a lot of what I said in this movie, early in the movie, when we talked about Kerbucci, I learned from Alex. So I think that's cool. There's also, we didn't talk about this a lot, but they actually shot two different alternate endings for this movie. Yeah, I did hear about that. They shot like a happier ending? Yes, there's a happier ending where actually they get away, but like, um, I think, like, he still gets shot. So, yeah, like, but it's left ominous. He's injured, right. And then there's another ending where, like, I think the actual um, outlaws, like, I I might be getting this wrong because I didn't watch it. I think the outlaws actually revolt and actually win against the bounty hunters. Uh-huh. I might be wrong on that, but I thought that's what Which, it is. I'm glad that neither of those endings yes, made it in the film. This was the perfect ending for it. Um, again, as we talked about, there's two different versions. I mean, it's the same movie, but, but it's oh, the Oh, I think original. in one of the endings, um, I think the sheriff comes back out of the water. Yes, thank and you. And he saves Paulina in silence. Yes, you're right on that. I, yes, you are. And uh, so, yes, two different versions. The original um, Italian and the English language. Same movie, just however you prefer to watch it. As your um, either subtitles or not, and then uh, like I said, there's an essay in the uh, in the there's a booklet essay as well. So um, you should if you are interested in this movie, it's like between twenty and twenty two dollars as a Blu-ray, and as Stacy said, you can you know rent it on Amazon or your your streaming platform. Where yeah, you for sure. Rent from. So yeah. All right, man. I I thought this was a lot of fun. I liked the movie a lot. Uh, what. What do we got on for next time? All right, so next time is going to be my pick. So we are in the middle of November here, and a lot of people like to do noirs, uh, film noir during November. So I thought maybe we'll do some film noirs. So for our next episode here, I am choosing the movie They Live by Night, and this is directed by the great Nicholas Ray. I have never seen this movie. I haven't either. All right, this will be fun. So I'm excited about it. I hope you guys are excited about it. If you get a chance... Watch it before our next podcast, and yeah, we can all sure. uh, have a discussion about it together. All right, man. All right. Before we go, real quick, where can people find you on Letterboxd? Esclover84. You can find me at Nolan Tuck or Chuck Madden Jr. You can find us on Twitter at Cinema Parlor. Uh, you should follow us on there, and we'll probably give you a follow back. Um, Absolutely. So, uh, you know, have a good, have a good week. Watch well, some cool films. Also, uh, rate and review yes, us thank on you. Apple iTunes. Go to our iTunes page. Give us some reviews because we don't. We're, we're just getting started. Yeah, we could use any any help we get. Any feedback. Any feedback, good or negative. Just just let us know. Any if it's negative, don't say it about me. Yeah, I'm very sensitive. Tell it about me. I'm I'm piss poor. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, drink some good brews this week and watch some good movies. Yeah. All right. Goodbye. Peace.